I have no idea what you just said. Zonk. I have never heard of Zonk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I grew up in a weird church. We weren't as cool as you guys. All right. If I were to ask you what the most important resource that we all possess, like the most important thing we all possess, what would it be? Toilet paper is important, yes, but... Water's good. God is good. No. Okay, I'll just tell you. Wait. What? One more time. Holy Spirit, right. No, thank you for your typical Bible answers. I appreciate it. But no, the most important, the most important resource that we possess is time. This is your life. The most important resource, and I'll say it again because I want this to connect, is time. Now, let me tell you about a story. When I was younger, my father gave me my first 50-cent coin. And if you know what a 50-cent coin is, it's a coin that's about this big, worth half a dollar. Obviously, that's what it's called. And I thought they were just the coolest coins in the whole world. And he gave me two of them. And I decided to take these coins and, like, this is really cool because when I grew up, the most important thing to me, typically, that I understood as a child was money. Because money could get you things that you wanted. And so I get these coins from my dad, and my dad knew I was a coin collector. And he wanted me to hold on to these and create memories of him giving them to me. He had this whole plan. And I'm like, this is a dollar. What could I do with a dollar? <laughs> And so I go to Dairy Queen, and I decided to buy myself a dollar ice cream cone dipped in chocolate. It was so good. And then when the ice cream cone was gone, I was so upset because I lost my 50-cent coins that my father had given me. Right? And that ice cream cone, I ate it so quick that it barely lasted. And then the enjoyment of that ice cream cone, I can't even remember because I've eaten thousands of ice cream cones since. But the most important thing, again, that I want you to understand, the one resource that we can never duplicate, the one resource you can never get back, the one resource that you'll never be able to spend again, is time. Let me give you another example. I love video gaming. I love video gaming. I just got Mario Kart for my Nintendo Switch, and I spent hours on it, making sure that I could beat every single level. By the way, you get nothing for beating every single level, so it is a waste of time. <laughs> but I beat it, and it made me feel good. And then there's nothing else to do with my day. My whole plan for my day was ruined because I was just too good at Mario Kart. And so what about time then was spent on Mario Kart? Well, there was a time playing, yes, but then there's a time invested in making the money to buy the system, so when all is said and done, by the time I was done, and I still have other video games to play for the Nintendo Switch, I will be spending a good month or two months worth of time, and that's short for what a person can do with video games. I'll be spending a good two months of time on video games. Now, if I ask you to think about your day, let's just pick today because you experienced it and it's fresh in your mind. Think in your mind what you did with that day. 
think what you did with that day? Was there any point that you decided to pick up your Bible? Was there any point that you decided to pray? Was there any point where you're talking to a friend and you're like, hey, this is a great opportunity to talk about Jesus? Now, I'm not trying to sit here and make you feel bad about yourselves. This is just supposed to help us think and imagine for a minute. If I have this precious resource that I cannot duplicate and there's nothing I can do to get it back, then wouldn't I want to do something a little more purposeful with it? Now, video games aren't all bad. I've had great conversations with people over video games, and God doesn't always have to be the only thing you think about. I'm not preaching that you always have to read. You always have to pray. What I just want you to understand is how dedicated are you to your relationship with Jesus? And again, this isn't a call. This is just literally the question, how dedicated are you? That's for you to answer. I don't know your answers. Let's go to the Word. In Mark chapter 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered. And don't you love this, this first half of a verse. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them. Once again, Jesus amasses many people who are interested in what he has to say. They decide to spend time to go find Jesus and to sit for three days to hear Jesus, eating nothing. They were so excited, so ambitious for the word, so driven. that They're like, hey, three days without food is nothing compared to what I'm about to get to spend my time on. And Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. He sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanatha something. <laughs> right. Have you ever been that ambitious? Have you ever been that excited? I know you have, right? Some of us imagine Christmas. We get this giddy feeling and we're like, Christmas is in three days. I can't wait to open my presents. I can't wait to spend time with my family. I can't wait to eat that food that I only get to eat once a year. It just speaks something to me when somebody is so invested in what's in front of them that there's literally no distraction. I just think that's cool. And then we continue. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So we have two scenarios here. Jesus gets out of the boat in this 
first verse of chapter 8. And he sees the people, their ambition, their drive, and it says he had compassion on them. And then he gets out of the boat, again, after he leaves those people and feeds them. And here are the Pharisees. And it says the Pharisees came to what? Argue, to test him. And they asked for a sign, not just any sign, by the way, because asking for a sign is something that was commonplace. It was practice that if a prophet were to walk amongst the streets and proclaim the word of God and say, I have an understanding that you do not and you need to hear it, they would be tested to make sure that what they are saying is true. But the Pharisees did not ask for any specific sign. They asked for a sign from heaven, which means they are asking for something that represents the end time. They are saying, give us a sign that you truly are here to give us Pharisees power, that you're here to deliver Israel from their enemies. Already the Pharisees have decided that Jesus, or not Jesus, but their Messiah, should come and give them power and give the nation of Israel power over all other nations and subdue the entire earth under the rule of Israel. That was their image of a holy God. A God so impersonal, so uncaring, that he would choose only one specific group and abandon the rest. And this is what the Pharisees dedicated their time to. See, if Christianity was just about saying the right things, then the Pharisees would have won. They would be the holiest people because the Pharisees had the understanding of what it took to be disciplined. But they had no compassion. When they see Jesus, they have no compassion. They have no love, no care for these people, for this man. And they deny completely the science. Like, how could you look at a man who heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who raises the dead, who heals all illnesses? How could you look at a man who can calm the sea and decide they still need a sign. That's what it means to be blind. To be staring at the truth and looking at all the evidence and still deciding that what you're seeing is not actually true. And so because of this, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And he says, such a sign to put you in power will never come. No sign will be given to this generation. And on the boat after this encounter, we read in verse 14, chapter 8. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discussing with one another the fact that they well, <laughs> had no bread. So isn't that interesting right there, though? In that one verse, it says they had no bread, but in the first verse, it says they had one loaf of bread. So either somebody's bad at math or they're trying to tell us something. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Same scenario. And the disciples were there. 
So why don't they get it? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, Jesus says, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Again, he didn't say how many did they take up. How many did you disciples pick up? And they said to him, seven. Now, you know when you're being questioned like this and you only have one word responses, you probably know that you're in hot water. Like if your mom's like, hey, did you eat the cookie, Aiden? And I go, mm-hmm. I know I'm in hot water. One word responses always means you have no excuse. And then finally, Jesus leave, leaves him with this. Do you not yet understand? Now, I find this interaction interesting because the Pharisees don't understand. And Jesus did not have that compassion for them. Yet, the disciples don't understand. And Jesus has compassion for them. So what is it that we have to connect here? What is the missing link? And my answer for you, because I'm going to tell you because that's my job, is that it is what's behind the heart, the motivation. The disciples were excited. We see that at their calling. They dropped what they had and ran with Jesus. They said, I don't 100% understand, but this guy really does get it, and so I'm going to join him. The Pharisees have never once had that attitude. And so they have always questioned and argued. So what is this leaven then? What is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is this one missing piece of bread about? Well, it's kind of a play on words in Scripture. What's happening is there is no actual physical bread. But Jesus says there is, a, or Mark says, there is a piece of bread. And that piece of bread is Jesus. Now, how does that tie into this whole thing? Well, the leaven of the Pharisees, let me tell you about leaven. Leaven is also known as yeast. How many of you have baked bread before? So I am the only dummy. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't baked bread before, I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying I'm very inexperienced. So today I asked Eric Holst, hey, can you bake bread with me so that I can understand how to make bread and understand what's happening in this passage? And so Eric took me, and he was patient with me, and I was spilling salt everywhere. Chris was there laughing his butt off because I had no idea how to even out the salt on a tablespoon. I thought you just shook it and it went all over the table. Right, it doesn't work. Anyways, the active ingredient in leaven, the active ingredient in bread is yeast. And yeast is an, or, an organism that you pick up from various places. It can be from any organic material pretty much. You can get it from trees, flowers, fruits, etc. If you ever left a thing of blueberries in the fridge and they get kind of fuzzy, that's because the yeast ate it, caused the fruit to rot, and then left behind this other organic material of, of this fuzz. If you haven't done that, congratulations, you live in a clean house. <laughs> but if you have seen that, then somebody is either not enjoying blueberries or should just stop buying them. That's a shout out to my own father. <laughs> Don't worry, he's not here. <laughs> oh, he's at home. But Bread expands because of yeast. Yeast is responsible, and yeast is also known as leaven, like I said. And so Jesus is saying, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Be careful of the leaven of Herod. Why? Because yeast is responsible for making bread. And bread was created from what's called a bread start. You took flour, you add a little bit of water, you add a little bit of sugars, 
and you kept feeding it. And it would develop and grow and rise. And you take chunks off of that, add it into your bread so that the same active ingredient would continue to do its thing with everything you added. And then you bake your bread. And so I started today with a ball of dough that I made with Eric about this big. No kidding, as big as my fist. This here is how big it got. It's grown in about five times the size, maybe even six. Because the yeast eats everything around it for food, for energy. It releases carbon dioxide, and it expands the dough. This happens over time. And so what Jesus is saying is, okay, first of all, this yeast might look small as bread, as dough, but it grows. It puffs up, kind of like the Pharisees' egos. And if you have bad yeast, because there is such thing as bad yeast currently, you can make bread and it will taste awful because the yeast is bad. And so you'll get, you'll get a bread that just tastes wrong, smells wrong. I'm told sometimes it will smell as awful as like a rotten bacon. Rotten meat, it's just gross. You don't want to smell it. Don't do it. Please do not attempt at home. The warning I'm giving you is do not leave meat out on your counter to see what it smells like in four days. Please. It's gross. But this is what happens when you have bad yeast. So Jesus is saying, be careful with the source that you work with. Be careful with the source that you are just immediately assumed to be accurate. Because even though if your, your understanding is this big from that source, if you blow it up enough years down the road, you're going to be ruined. You're either going to have to unlearn everything that you have already learned, or you're just going to continue to run with what you're doing and always have a terrible result. Jesus is termed as the bread of life. What I want you to understand is that means he is the source of all that is good. And in this example, it's, in my opinion, a perfect analogy, is that if Jesus is not your source of input, if Jesus is not something you spend your time on, and then you're just going to have a terrible end result. And so when we go forward from tonight, I want you to think about that. What is the result going to be of what you're doing with your day, of the friends you hang out with, of the inputs that you have? Again, I don't want to sound judgmental. I just want you to care about your relationship with God. All right, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to teach once again. I thank you for all the youth that are in this room and everything you have done to get them here and to just grow in their faith. And I pray that tonight in small groups, it is productive conversations that they get to truly wrestle with what does it mean to have a relationship with you and to start being aware of all of the inputs that we have. That not all things are bad, but without you, everything is bad. And I just pray that we're aware of this truth and that we're ready to grow in our relationships with you. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks, guys.